Hello, coming to you live from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Her Next Chapter, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories from amazing women who have reinvented their careers or lives. Could be total changes, could be side hustles. I'm Stephanie Pierce, mother of three, wife of one, former corporate exec, and now I am the founder and CEO of StephPierce.com. And I am Julie Burton, founder of Modern Well, a female-centered co-working space in Minneapolis. And I'm the author of The Self-Care Solution, A Modern Mother's Must-Have Guide to Health and Well-Being. And I'm a mother and a wife. In each episode, Julie and I will bring you these awesome stories about the power, pain, and laughs that come from change. Are you ready for your next chapter? chapter. How are you, Steph? I'm lovely, Jules. How are you doing? I am good. I'm actually really great because our guest today, introducing, introducing, introducing my very best friend in the whole wide world. (laughs) We're going to start naming these episodes. um, Jules, friends, that are also my best friends now too. That's <laughs> know, right? And now we're all best friends. It's the three musketeers. Okay. Um, Laura Zell. Oh my gosh. Where do we even start? Welcome, Laura. Welcome, Thank you. Laura. Thank you. Super happy to be here. So we'll we'll be we'll do like the businessy, like more formal introduction and then we'll move into who who you know who she is in my heart but um so laura is the founding director and chief operating officer of tolerance in motion and she is the director of tolerance minnesota um and laura will explain a little bit more about what that all means but this woman has been doing the work um that that we all that many of us have been stepped up to do more recently um she's been doing this work on fighting bias and racism and anti-semitism and anti-bullying and um for for so many years and very quietly um in it in all sorts of ways she has reinvented herself more times than I can even count. Um, And most recently uh, partnered with um, the Smithsonian, with Harvard um, on a project that was at the Science Museum. Unfortunately, it was, you know, during COVID, so we all didn't get to see it, but I did get to see it. It was amazing. Um, Called The Bias inside us um that what is is every single human being should um go through that exhibit that's all i can say um on a personal note laura is has been my friend since we were young um and has been by my side every step of the way (laughs) and that's no small job okay (laughs) As you're learning. (laughs) Right, Steph? You're learning. (laughs) I wouldn't change a step. I wouldn't 
change a single thing. Come so on, Laura, maybe one Welcome. step. Like <laughs> one step. Well, maybe a few. Okay, maybe just a few, but we won't talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> um, so welcome, Laura. We are just just so grateful to have you here. And Laura is also with Steph um, on the Modern Well Advisory Board. So um, these two women both, uh, thankfully, helped me steer the Modern Well ship. So we just are giddy to have you on. So welcome. Oh my God. I am just honored. I am truly, truly honored to be in your company and invited to this podcast and to have this conversation. So Thank you. Thank you, Laura. And thank you, Laura, really for the work that you have done and you continue to do. I, you know, like, like Julie said, you were in this work before it was cool to be in this work. And so yeah. thank you for your continued commitment. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk reinvention. <laughs> so Laura, tell us, um, when you think about reinvention, what does it mean to you, uh, particularly in the context of your life and how you've reinvented? Uh, so tell us a little bit more about you, your reinvention story and what it means to you. I think, so for me, reinvention was really about taking my side hustle or my side project, if you will, and stepping on the gas really hard and really um, with intention and um, with an, an incredible amount of effort saying, okay, this is where I need to now put my energy. Um, this, this project, as you guys mentioned, the, the bias inside us, um, that's now a Smithsonian, Smithsonian traveling exhibition, um, wasn't always in the shape that it is today. And I had to make a choice years ago, probably eight years ago, that I was going to step into this role and try and lead this project and create this project. Um, and so that was kind of the, the turning point for me to say, okay, I'm going to go for it. Um, it involved taking ginormous risks for myself. Um, everything from asking advisors, asking people that are way smarter than me um, to think about this project with me. I, 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 I had mapped out a framework, if you will, and then I really needed expert contents, museum people, fundraising people. I needed to gather my team of, again, of people that were way smarter than me and that could be advisors to me. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think about it, it's like, I knew I, I could believe in my skills, but I couldn't believe in my knowledge, if you will. Like I, I didn't have all the answers when I started, no way. And so, and that took a lot of time to build my circle of trust. But here we are, and I've had- Here you are, and you did oh, it. And you yeah, did it. I, have, I have just really great people around me. So, so walk so walk us through. I mean, obviously, I walked next to you. We walked every Saturday for. I mean, now how many years has it been, Laura? We 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 walk and talk. We've been walking for twenty five years. I think. Oh my god! Than that. <laughs> <laughs> that that now that I should have been walking. I think me and my friends were sitting and drinking. So 
we do that too. We do that we after. Do that. <laughs> we do that. everyone who's listening to this who's a friend of mine. Why were we sitting and drinking? Why weren't we walking? I blame all of you. <laughs> we we had to walk out our anxiety, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm just stopping being scared of this project, is the truth. I am just recently not anxious and scared about it. So that's how long it's taken. That, and, and I mean, it was really cool as Laura's friend to hear about the idea from literally from there was nothing. Like it, it just, and, and to watch and listen. And it was really a lot in alignment with when I was starting Modern Well. So we were both you know, she was talking a bit about this idea and this traveling exhibit and bias and, and, and okay, now we've got Harvard on board and now we've got, and, and it just, and every time we would walk, it was like, oh my gosh, oh my, you're doing that. Like this is, this is happening. And she was working a full-time job um, right. and is a mom of two wonderful, amazing children. and. Um, a wife to a cousin of mine, actually. Um, so, so tell us. So, you started talking about like taking that side hustle and kind of going with it. How do you when you're when you're working full time and and you have a family and you're doing all the things and then you've got this side hustle? How did you how did you do that all, Laura? Yeah, you know, I started off really. Um, I mean, you plan right? You develop a plan, you take your big objectives, you work with people, um, you know, you gather your team and you start to plan where you want to go. Um, and we planned enough, we had a solid enough idea that we could fundraise. And so we started to fundraise on an idea, still just an idea. And we got some seed money. Um, all along the way, I had really, again, trusted advisors that I would go to and tell them what I was thinking be completely open-minded to what they were, they, they would give me the feedback um, and then go a little bit further. And just, I, I say, like I constantly threw out where I was to the universe and waited, just waited for people to talk to me about it. Um, and then eventually one of my advisors who's in the museum field said to me, I think that you should be introduced to people at the Smithsonian with this idea. Um, she's my friend Joanne. She said to me, you should go to this museum conference down in Atlanta. Uh, it's going to cost you $3,000 for, you know, 48 hours. And, um, I'm going to, you're not going to go to a single session at the conference, but I'm going to introduce you to people in passing and you'll have 30 seconds to make the project pitch. And I was like, what? That is so out of my comfort zone. What are you talking about? I get tongue-tied. Who am I meeting? And she said, you just have to trust me. You have to trust me. And when it's a green light, you have 30 seconds. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And it was seriously in the hall. I remember a conversation in a hallway, on an escalator, and on the bus ride going to dinner. And I, that's where I pitched things. And eventually... The director of the Smithsonian Traveling Department said to me, okay, you should put an application in. And, and that was a whole nother effort. 
but we did and we waited for about 18 months. I mean, yeah, 18 months, a year and a half until the Smithsonian came back and said, okay, we're going to accept your project, which was the beginning of more work. But, <laughs> but I had finally, you know, the idea was percolated enough that I could attract the national partner, right? And all all the people on the team, all the talented people that would come on and help bring this project to the finish line. And so that was incredible. So Laura, what's happening? You waited 18 months to hear back from the Smithsonian. So what's, what's happening during that time? Like, are you, are they saying a few more months or is it just dead silence? I'm just thinking, about people when you start something new, there's this tendency, if you don't hear something right away, it must be a bad idea and you shelve it. So I'm just curious, what's going on with you in those 18 months? It is dead silence. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. And we had turned over, you know, our nonprofit, our board information, our financials, our evaluation plan, the program plan, nothing. And it's just their intake process. It's, it's, you know, I've come to learn now that I'm a, con a consultant with them, that it is their process. They go through a very, very thorough process, very complex. Um, so we didn't hear anything. And then boom, it was like, okay, you're accepted. And I'll tell you, I, the very first meeting I had after the project was accepted I sat down and the director said to me, so not everybody here at the Smithsonian approved this project with flying colors. What you're going to do first is go talk to the people that have reservations. Go talk to them and listen to their criticisms and listen to their questions. That was the very first thing I had to do. Oh my gosh. Like, I was already exhausted. <laughs> Waiting for 18 months and then go listen to the people who said, nah, we don't really want this. Right. Nah, I have, right. I have some questions. I have some reservations. What do you really mean by this? I was like, oh my God. But you know what I, there's a, there's a takeaway here that I think is important. And that is somebody told you that that silence from the Smithsonian was the way that it is. Right. So you know, this ability to have somebody in your support system who knows what the heck is going on so that you know, okay, in this instance, silence doesn't necessarily mean no. This is their process. You just have to hold Correct. One of my advisors is uh, in the museum world. Gotcha. Okay. It's so kind then, of like in the writing world where, you know, that's part of the reason why we have a writing group is that you know, you, you submit a book proposal, a couple chapters of a book. I mean, you could be sitting and waiting for a response from an agent for six months, nine months, you know, and during that time, you're like, oh my God. And it's so, it's such a vulnerable feeling too. Like, you know, you, you pour your heart on the page and you, and then nothing. So, totally. And, and during this time, you know, I'm talking to myself all the time, right? And I'm thinking, okay, well, it's okay. It's okay if they say no. That's okay. I tried. I tried my best. 
I gathered my team. It's okay. So I had almost convinced myself that it wasn't going to be accepted by the time it was. And so, Laura, let me make sure I've got this right, me and the listeners. So you were working on this project while you had a full-time job? Correct. And at no point did said full-time job go away? No, because I needed to work. I needed to provide for my family. I needed, I like my job. This project was burst at my job. So it, you know, it, it was a small project at my current job and then just grew bigger and bigger and needed its own separate board and needed its own separate fundraising and the whole nonprofit, the whole scene. So That's Laura, can you, can you just tell the listeners about the exhibit? Can you, can you just do kind of the the summary of, of what, what it is. Sure. I would love to. <laughs> um, it's called the bias inside us and it is um, a community engagement project that has a traveling exhibition at its core. Um, it is meant to have us build awareness around our own implicit bias that we all have it. It's part of being human um, it's how we grow, but we're imprinted by things in society, in our community, education, culture, housing, opportunity, privilege. Um, and so that gets played out in the exhibit as well. It, it's really meant to um, have people explore and become aware rather than preach and shame. Um, so we try to make it engaging, um, interactive, and we explore products that you might not know have some bias built into it. Um, and we also lean heavily on the science behind how our brain processes bias. Um, and so we were able to have Harvard University's Department of Psychology be a partner in this and really teach us what they're learning about implicit bias. It, it's it, from, from going through it um, when it was at the Science Museum, it really, it really does feel, um, just like Laura said, like it, you're not being preached to, you're, you're really learning about yourself in a very um, engaging way. There's, um, there's videos, there's um, like little kind of, I don't know if they're like, not tests, but like assessments that, that you take. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's my husband and I walked through it and um, I, I really, you know, and I, and I, obviously I've known Lauren through this whole thing, but I, I just felt like I learned so much. I thought I knew a lot when I, but I walked away, um, with an even deeper level of understanding of my own bias and of just bias in general and what that means and how, and how it affects us. Oh, good. Laura, That's so great to hear. Yeah. I wonder, um, there's a lot of organizations as we, um, know, um, large and small, um, 
that are looking at bias and looking at equity and inclusion. And so is what you've created something that an organization can tap into? So if we have a listener that has a, that is either the owner of an organization or works for an organization and says, gosh, this sounds like something I'd like to take my company through, my team through, my whatever. Can they do that? Is that something that can happen? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, and we've had companies do this and we've had groups do this. And what, what you'll learn in this exhibit is, is a foundational understanding of how bias works in your body, how it works in your brain. Um, people feel that that's a, a really great place to start with a common, the common knowledge. Um, how, you, how it plays out in the culture of your company or your school or your community organization is so varied, but you, you know, that's more of an internal discussion, right? That's sort of the, the outtake of this. But um, by focusing on the science um, and understanding that it does seep into our policies, our systems, our laws, um, you know, people don't understand that, right? Right. And so just to sort of come to this, this place of common understanding, that's what, that's what we say. Um, and really understand that the research is there to support it. And the research is also there that we can interrupt our biases. Like it's not just removing a couple bad apples here. It's all of us doing this work around our own awareness you bring yourself into every situation or every job you are, whether you're leading a company, whether you're serving coffee at the local coffee shop, you and your biases show up in interactions with everybody all day long. So that's where we want to start. And, and so, so, mm -hmm. um, so Laura, if we will have this information in the show notes, but for those listeners that maybe won't be able to get to the show notes, if they want to, make this happen at their organization, how, how do they do that? How do they get in contact with you? So right, they can email me or there's going to be an online version of this very shortly. And you can just Google Smithsonian, the bias inside us. And what we decided to do with the online version is to go a little bit deeper into some of the research. And there's actually like interactive moments. There's deeper dives into the academics and the, and the research. So, um, definitely visit the online version. And that will be available when? June 1st. Awesome. So Laura, as, as we talk about reinvention and kind of a lot of the, our guests have talked about kind of this spark inside them, this like feeling that this was something that they, you know, knew that they had to do and whether it took, you know, 10 years or two months, it was just something inside them. So can you talk about you, like what it was within you? I mean, you were already doing this work, right? But what was it in you that said, I need to take this to another level? Like, like, cause you were already doing the work of, you know, I mean, JCRC, the Jewish Community Relations Council, I mean, works with bias and racism and anti-something, you're all doing the work. So what was it in you that was like, okay, I want to, I want to do this at this next level? Well, 
So, you know, I had already seen the power of storytelling to educate. Um, I have made a couple of films and I took my family story. Um, my mom was a survivor of the Holocaust from Athens, Greece. That story was nowhere to be found really in the in the museums. And so doing the research for that and the planning for that and the fundraising for that, I I knew that creatively things were possible. Anything was possible, right? Um, but it, this one just kind of kept growing and growing. And as my people I would talk to, my advisors out there would say, yeah, yeah, keep going. You don't have it yet, but keep going, mm -hmm. you know? And in fact, our, our, we secured a million dollar grant from the Otto Brummer Trust. Um, but that didn't happen out of nowhere. I actually met with Brian, the, the head of the Otto Brummer Trust a couple of times and he told me no a lot. And I took that no, I listened to what he said and other people did too. And I was missing things along the way. And so I just kind of like sectioned it out and said, okay, they said I'm missing this, I'm gonna work on this. They said the next person said I'm missing this, I'm gonna work on this. And so I just kind of dug in until I had the full picture and the full project. So I really appreciate all those no's. <laughs> I, I listened as best I could, you know, and as hard as they were to hear, they really helped me. So, okay, you, you, you sort of buried, you, you Oh, so, did I not, did I so, not answer? No, no, no. I'm just saying you, it's so Laura to be like, yeah, I, you know, I, I made a couple films. Okay. Okay. Really? Like, can anyone tell their friends? <laughs> Okay, so I'm gonna just pull this right out of you. So talk about those. Oh, I made a couple films um, because those couple films are pretty spectacular, and that project was spectacular. Is spectacular. So talk about that. So, okay. <laughs> Another part of your reinvention. Like she's re she reinvents all over the place, but just doesn't want to. Another side project. It was <laughs> another side project. Just a film but you know, or two. A film or two. Well. I, I, I really saw something that, that needed to be done in my family, that again, there was this incredible history um, of my family surviving the Holocaust from Greece, where people didn't even know that it had occurred. And um, so I just wanted to bring it all together in an organized way as a legacy piece. Like I wanted to answer some unanswered questions, like, did it happen? How did it affect my family? Why are my why were my relatives killed? And those are big questions. And I found the power of storytelling through film, um, and it was just incredibly creative. Um, and I could bring interviews into it, and music into it, and you know documents into it. And so that was really exciting for me. It was just it was a labor of love, but again with this deep message of teaching people about this history. Um, so, so that was the start of being able to do big projects. Well, yeah, and having done that, 
and again, I, you know, that wasn't easy. That, I mean, yeah. that took a lot and it took a lot more time than you thought. And it took a lot more money than you thought. And, and I remember that, but probably I would imagine that completing that kind of gave you that boot when you thought about, Oh, Smithsonian owning, like you had already kind of done something that was really hard and, um, and a creative project that you brought to fruition. And then, I mean, so. Yeah, you just, you know, it taught me that you just do it. I mean, I know that sounds really simple to say, but you really just keep doing what you're doing. And eventually you get there and you make, you know, again, like smart decisions along the way. Like I hired a script writer and I hired an editor and I kept raising money. And just knowing that, I didn't have all the skills to bring this to the finish line, but I could find people out there that could help me do it. And, you know, um, also just that it was possible, that it was really possible that I could become a filmmaker and that I could then turn my efforts to design this project for the Smithsonian. Yeah, I don't even believe it myself is the truth. I <laughs> don't believe it myself. Well, it's kind of like, um, what is it like the traction, the method, like, like you're, you're the vision, you're a visionary in, in that, you know, there's sort of the, like the visionary and what, you, what visionaries do and what you have done so beautifully is you find the integrators. Like you, mm -hmm. you have the vision and you can see it. And then, you know, successful visionaries like you, okay, I, yeah, sure. You, you don't know how to do everything, but you, you know how to, you can find people that do. Steph, right. you're really good at that Thank too. <laughs> it's kind of recognizing the holes and finding the experts that have the knowledge to fill that hole. Totally. I remember going to an event and listening to some um, excessively brilliant woman say that one of the key points, key parts of an exceptional leader is the ability to know the things that you just aren't good at, shouldn't be good at, and find someone to do it. And I was like, yes, yes, you are the smartest woman I've ever met in my entire life. Correct. I don't want to know how to make all the technology work. I just want it to work. Right. Right. And you know, it, I just remember so many conversations with just a few people. Once I found those experts too, once I found the people I knew would give me the honest answer, the, the expert answer, I kept going back to them. I, I kept them close and we discussed things over and over again, because this is complicated work. How do you talk about implicit bias across the country? And how do we want to shape this project by the way, it's free of charge for communities to host. That was a really big deal to me as a public school teacher. I didn't want this to hide behind museum walls to people that can only buy a ticket to the museum. And so that's not how the Smithsonian does things. You know, they send it to a museum, you buy a ticket, it stays at a museum for six months, then it moves on to the next place. And so they had to sort of talk to talk people into another idea too. Once it was approved, it's like, no, we're going to do some programming communities and we're not going to charge them. And there's a $3,000 subsidy per community 
to go further into the conversation and to customize this conversation to what's already happening in the community and how communities see fit. So there were, there's like layers to this that just were against the norm. So you, you've started us um, kind of in responding to this question, but I do want to keep going on this one, Laura, if you don't mind. And that is really around your advice, your counsel uh, to women who are, um, whose side hustle picks up. Um, how do you do it? What, what would you share um, with our listeners? What advice or counsel would you give from your perspective? It's a great question. I guess the number one thing is to, first of all, keep moving, keep moving. If you believe in it and you're passionate about it, keep moving, whatever that looks like. And, you know, be comfortable with the ambiguity, be comfortable with unknowing. Um, that was really important. I didn't ever walk into a room and say, here's how I think it should go. Um, I walked into a room saying, I'm not completely sure. Here are some ideas. Tell me what you think. Um, and so that's where it was constantly being reinvented till it got to a really great place. So I guess, you know, living with ambiguity, keep going. No risk is too big. No risk is too big. If somebody tells you to apply to the Smithsonian, apply. Amen. <laughs> And I think that is, you do have to, you do have to be willing to take a risk. And, you know, you, I think that is a great piece of advice. Um, having people around you who might be a little bit more knowledgeable about what it is that you're going into and kind of leaning on that, I think can be really important as well. So at least then you know what's going on. Absolutely. Right. Laura, you lifeless <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just absorbing you guys because your energy and your accomplishments and your personality and your love. I mean, it feeds me too. And Jewel, you know, the, all those walks, all those miles that we've put on, I mean, they fed my soul so that I could continue to move forward. So thank you. Thank friendship you. is power friendship yes. is power yes. thank you laura for sharing your story thank you for doing the work that you do it is making an impact um and particularly in a time when we most certainly need it now quietly you and i know and jules as well that we've needed it for a long time right um but now all the rest of our friends have joined us so um we're happy to have them, and I'm glad that you have worked so diligently to create a tool um, to help individuals, to help organizations, to help teams, and to help communities understand what they need to do internally in order for us to make meaningful change externally. So thank you. You are welcome. Thank it's so you. good to see you. Yeah. So good to see you, Jules. With you. So great. Always stuff.
Thank you, Laura. And uh, and it, it is, I don't know when this exactly will air, but um, this it is Mother's Day weekend. We're going into Mother's Day weekend. So happy Mother's Day to happy to Mother's all of you. Day. Even if, even this will probably be air after Mother's Day, but I hope you all, all you moms had a happy Mother's Day. They'll get another Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day again. Again. <laughs> and again. And again. <laughs> Thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Thank Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of hernextchapter.co. You can follow us on Instagram at hernext.chapter. And you can find all of our lovely, fun, fabulous podcasts on all those places where podcasts can be found. Please follow us and give us five stars. We'd be so delighted and tickled. And we hope that you are enjoying your time with us. Last but not least, hernextchapter.co. You can check us out there as well. See you next week.